You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks very much for joining us. We begin with heartbreak for a family on Vancouver Island speaking out about their mother's agonizing wait for cancer treatment that ultimately led to her decision to end her own suffering. As Kylie Stanton tells us, even BC's Premier admits timely cancer care is something the province is failing to deliver. Probably the most heartbreaking part for her was to leave the grandchildren. Knowing there was no way to fill the hole in their lives when she was gone, she filled these boxes. She wrote a birthday card to each of them until they're 18 and she signed them all. Samia Sakely was the forever teacher in her profession and in life. One that ended at just 67 years old after a brief but brave battle with stomach cancer. We learned that unfortunately it was stage four. It had spread. I mean, we were just completely shocked. And so the very next thing you go to is, well, what can we do? The surgeon told the family without treatment, Sakely had three to six months to live, potentially up to a year if she was deemed a candidate for chemo and immunotherapy. But it came with a warning. There would likely be a wait. When you're given a, a diagnosis of only months, but then in the same breath, you're told it could be months to even see the one person who has the answers and can possibly give you some treatment to extend your life. It's unfair, it's cruel, it's not the way things should be. This is not okay. Sakely waited for that initial oncology consult, getting weaker with every passing day. The family calling BC Cancer regularly for updates, only to be told there were none. We watched her deteriorate with all of our hands tied. 10 weeks after the diagnosis in mid-March, the appointment was finally scheduled, where Sakely was told she was, in fact, a candidate for treatment. But it was too late. At the beginning of this, my mom said, I will do what I can, I will fight. I really believe that our healthcare system and BC Cancer didn't even put her in the ring. According to BC Cancer, 97.7% of patients start chemotherapy within 28 days. However, it's important to note that's 28 days from when a patient is referred to treatment, which would come after the initial oncology consult. BC Cancer admits between testing and diagnostics, the time it takes to get to that point can add up. In some cases, months, something it's working to remedy as part of the province's 10-year cancer plan. Looking how we do things, how we can tighten up these timelines, how we can move uh, in more of a, a parallel type process rather than a series of processes. If you hear the word cancer, you want care immediately and that's what we're focused on doing. But the Premier says the province is failing to deliver, ultimately failing patients being diagnosed today. They have a right to expect that when they reach out to the healthcare system, uh, they're going to get the support that they need. I am not satisfied with where we are on cancer care in the province. She was so happy that weekend. Despite three attempts, Sakely was too ill to ever proceed with treatment, instead opting for medically assisted dying. She was in so much pain and she truly felt cast aside. And that's when she decided to control the only thing she could control, and that was how and when she died. The mother of three and grandmother to six passed away June 22nd, just weeks after that initial oncology appointment. Kylie Stanton, Global News. 
The latest data from BC Cancer found there were more than 30,000 new cancer cases reported in 2021, and that's projected to grow to more than 44,000 cases in 2035. Now, the most common types of cancer include breast, lung, prostate, and colorectal. Combined, they account for nearly half of all cancer diagnoses in the province. The Maple Ridge man who groped a woman on a North Shore trail last year has been sentenced for sexual assault. As Kristen Robinson reports, despite showing little remorse, he won't be spending any time in jail. Jaris Paul Kovach of Sacramento will serve a six-month conditional sentence followed by 18 months probation. The 23-year-old will be under house arrest for the first three months. North Vancouver Provincial Court Judge Joseph Galati noting Sacramento sexually assaulted a stranger in broad daylight in a public park, and the attack had a significant impact on the victim. Turn around! Turn around! What makes you think it's okay to smack me in the ass? In February of last year, Sacramento grabbed a woman's buttocks as she was hiking on a Lynn Valley trail. He was arrested a month later and convicted of sexual assault this past June. Do you want to say anything? But what? While Sacramento apologized, court heard he minimized the offense, thinking the victim would have liked it if she was younger, and saying, she is crazy and ruined my life. What makes you think it's okay to smack women in the ass? Mr. Sacramento apparently believed the victim might respond in a positive manner to what he considered to be a pickup attempt, said Judge Galati. I am satisfied he did not intend to cause harm, but he was clearly reckless or willfully blind to the possibility that harm would result. Huh? What are you talking about? Huh? Crown had asked for up to 120 days jail before probation. Defense wanted a conditional discharge. Clearly, the judge said, given Sacramento's apparent inability to understand that he committed an act of sexual violence, and further, he does not express any remorse or understanding of the impact on the victim, but rather is egocentrically focused on how this offense has impacted him, it would be contrary to the public interest to grant him a discharge. Do you understand the emotional impact you had on her? Or do you think she's just crazy? Court heard Sacramento had recently been working as an electrician as part of an apprenticeship, but lost that job due to the notoriety this case has attracted. The judge concluded by wishing Sacramento good luck. Kristen Robinson, Global News. West Vancouver police are asking for help identifying a suspect in a bizarre incident. It happened last Thursday at Park Royal Mall. Police say a stranger followed a man pushing a stroller into the mall before bumping that person in the arm. The next day, the victim's arm became red and sore. And when checked by a doctor, there were concerns the person might have been pricked by a needle. Investigators want to speak to the suspect to determine exactly what happened. He's described as having a thin build and was last seen wearing glasses, a blue jacket, and carrying a green reusable shopping bag. The provincial government is introducing tougher penalties and regulations to reduce the number of overpass crashes in B.C. As Janet Brown reports, under the new rules, repeat offenders could have their entire fleet of trucks pulled off the road. According to provincial data, there have been 30 overpass strikes across B.C. since December 2021. In September, a driver hit a North Vancouver overpass and fled the scene. It tied up traffic for eight hours on Highway 1. We've seen inexplicable series of collisions between trucks 
and highway overpasses. Transportation and Infrastructure Minister Rob Fleming announcing the province is making changes to try and reduce the number of overpass crashes involving big trucks. And that's why we're taking tougher action to prevent these crashes. Tougher regulations, bigger fines and robust enforcement. Changes include mandating new technical requirements, including warning devices for dump trucks to alert a driver if a dump box is raised while in motion, and speed limiter technology on commercial trucks, preventing them from going faster than 105 kilometres an hour. Companies involved in repeat crashes could also see their entire fleet grounded. This includes outright cancellation of their carrier safety certificate, which would effectively prevent the company from operating in BC, and with that, all the financial implications that would bring. Fines for no speed limiter technology and tampering of that, $295 and three driver penalty points. Overheight vehicle fines are going up from $115 to $575. And non-compliance with in-cab warning devices in dump trucks, the fine will be $598. I think they really signal a change. The changes were made with input from the BC Trucking Association. It's not just the fine, it's the suspension of the ability to operate that happens right now. That's that immediate effect, that's that big impact. The province is currently reviewing possible legislative changes that would allow even higher fines in the future. Janet Brown, Global News. Premier David Eby is sticking with BC's drug decriminalization plans, despite the fact one of the pioneers of the idea is thinking of walking back parts of its program. As Paul Johnson reports, critics say it's more proof BC's program needs rethinking as well. Given its prominence in the headlines, you might think B.C. was the first place in North America to decriminalize hard drugs. It actually, it's, all it's doing is making it easier for people to get drugs. But that title belongs to a state just a few hours south on I-5. Yeah, how come they're not bringing you guys? Oregon did decrim for personal use amounts of hard drugs starting in 2021. Late last year, we went to Portland to check on how that was going and the results appeared mixed. A year later, there may be a rethink going on in the Beaver State. Let's talk about Portland and let's talk about progress because I think we're having a moment. Times of crisis can lead to a desire for drastic change. That's Oregon Governor Tina Kotek, a Democrat, who made national headlines this week with the announcement that next year she wants rules to ban public use of hard drugs and more powers for cops to go after dealers and distributors. If passed, it would amount to a substantial walk back of the state's pioneering decrim plan. I think it's a really prudent move, to be honest. BC United MLA Eleanor Sturko is the legislature's top critic of decrim here. Her party would repeal it. I think what we're seeing in the emerging evidence is, is that it has not been entirely helpful and there have been unintended consequences. We're living with them now in British Columbia. Asked about the Oregon situation Thursday, Premier Eby had this to say. The uh, sale of illicit drugs in British Columbia has always remained criminalized. We did not uh, follow uh, uh, Oregon's uh, approach in that regard. Uh, and similarly, uh, we introduced a new law uh, that uh, restricts the uh, public consumption of illicit drugs. While Oregon's model is different from BC's in some ways, one similarity 
is the supposition that by reducing the stigma of criminality, drug users would be more likely to seek treatment and less likely to die. But data from Oregon's public health department so far doesn't appear to confirm that. Last year, Oregon recorded more than twice as many deaths from overdoses than the year before its decrim came into effect. Paul Johnson, Global News. The numbers are not much better here. B.C.'s coroner has issued a special warning about toxic drugs in the wake of more grim overdose statistics. On the same day, one family is marking its own tragic milestone in a very public way. Cassidy Moscone reports. One year ago, Trevor Tablodny lost his brother to a toxic drug overdose. There's so many people that I've watched over the years pass from this or seen struggle. I can't do anymore. <laughs> it's really hard. At 36 years old, Curtis Tablodny was found alone in his room by his father. He was always afraid of how people would see him as a drug user and, and, and that would prevent him from going to see doctors. It would prevent him from going to uh, treatment. And I feel like that's, that's one of the main obstacles that a lot of people are facing. His family now channeling their grief to spark change. Many people are using, they're using alone and they're dying. And uh, so there, there needs to be more awareness, more conversations, more understanding what addiction is. Curtis's old car refurbished. This car was his dream. <laughs> It's his dream car. Now the fuel to help drive conversations around dropping the stigma. I feel like I climbed out of hell and like came back from the dead. We don't want anyone else to have to go through the hurt and pain that we've gone through because uh, it's immense pain and it will be for the rest of our lives. The hard truth is more and more people are dying from toxic drug overdoses in the province. More than 200 deaths in November alone, according to the BC Coroner's Service, who has issued a public safety warning, declaring the crisis has claimed about seven deaths a day on average for the past seven weeks. There's more we have to do. We have a billion dollars in the budget to expand our recovery system and a new approach uh, in communicating with the public about the toxic drug crisis. The BC government is working on it, their three-prong approach. Uh, it's just, how do we do it quicker? Lives depend on it. Cassidy Moscone, Global News. A significant expansion announced today for the almost $2 billion St. Paul's Hospital rebuild in Vancouver. As Alyssa Thibault reports, the Premier has unveiled plans for what he describes as a world-class life sciences research facility to be built next door. A giant construction site now. But in a few years, next to Via Rail Station, this will be the new $1.9 million St. Paul's Hospital. On Thursday, the Premier took a tour of work done so far. The new hospital will be eight levels and spans 18 acres. We can fit four soccer fields in our building. Is that right? But there will also be a new facility next door. David Eby announcing the province has approved funding for a $638 million clinical support and research centre. Officials say here, innovation teams will be able to work with emerging technologies such as virtual reality and 3D bioprinting and conduct clinical trials. It is not just a building. It is the future of healthcare in British Columbia 
and it is the future of healthcare internationally. Patients, clinicians, scientists, researchers and healthcare leaders working together to discover, learn and innovate. The two buildings will be linked by a sky bridge connecting innovation with where it's needed. It will serve as a draw for top research talent and highlights the powerful connection between what happens in the hospital and the research that makes healthcare better over time. The entire project will replace the current St Paul's Hospital, which is more than 100 years old. It also hosts the Centre for Heart and Lung Innovation, the BC Centre for Excellence in HIV AIDS and the BC Centre on Substance Use. Those teams will all move across. Now they're going to be here in world-class facilities. The new hospital will begin receiving patients in 2027 and the research centre is set to open in late 2028. Alyssa Thibault, Global News. Ontario is about to overhaul its liquor laws with Premier Doug Ford saying we've got to start treating people like adults. So a lot of people are wondering if BC is willing to do the same thing, making beer, wine and cider available in almost any store with a cooler like the rest of the world does. Why you shouldn't pop the champagne just yet, next on the News Hour. I grew up on a tiny island just off of Prince Rupert. After a lifetime on the water, how marine rescue expert Amber Shaysgreen shares her skills around the world. That's later on the News Hour. And Frosty gets a whack from a Port Coquitlam bear coming up later. Right now, though, Ontario's premier says his government is treating people like adults with major changes to rules around alcohol sales. Loosening up regulations to allow beer and wine sales in convenience stores and gas stations matches what's going on pretty much everywhere in the world. But as Richard Zussman reports, don't expect anything similar in B.C. Barreling ahead, Ontario is cracking open its archaic liquor system. A new system will be in place by January 1st, 2026 at the latest, allowing people to buy beer, wine, cider and seltzers at convenience stores, big box stores, more supermarkets and some gas stations. We got to start treating people like uh, adults set to become the third Canadian jurisdiction to offer beer in corner stores, but will BC follow? Ontario, I think, has been behind British Columbia in terms of access uh, to alcohol and the different ways in which it can be purchased for a long time. Uh, we have a very successful uh, system in place. It's a public system and private system that works well together. Uh, so we're not looking at making any changes along the lines that uh, Ontario has. Unlike Ontario, BC already has private liquor stores. They offer a variety of products in a variety of locations and have extended hours. We have a very, I think, uh, uh, comprehensive um, uh, approach to alcohol in this province. Uh, you can, there's no shortage of locations where you can buy it. In Vancouver, specifically, councils providing some new flexibility around liquor licenses, including sales at spas, barbers and retail stores. But broadly, the bulk of the province's liquor distribution runs through government, both the liquor distribution branch and BC liquor stores, the workers, members of the BC General Employees Union. Uh, we've got, I think, a responsible approach in terms of alcohol in the province. It is a mix of public and private. British Columbians also have some access to alcoholic grocery stores. The private liquor store sector doesn't believe that there's any need or substantial interest here in moving product to convenience stores or gas stations. But we also have 670 private liquor stores that are owned by individual business people all across the province. So there's no big monopolies like you were seeing in Quebec and Ontario. 
Uh, and out here in BC, all of those private liquor stores are already located in areas that are very convenient for consumers. And while Ontario celebrates, BC is putting a cork in any more substantial changes to where people can buy alcohol. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Well, after a 12-hour-long meeting, Vancouver City Council has voted to move toward abolishing the city's elected park board. Keith Baldry is live in Victoria with more on the decision and what role the province will play next. Keith? Yeah, the ball is now in the province's court. At least it will be eventually. So the idea that this is going to be somehow a quick process or even overnight uh, had a big bucket of cold water thrown on it today by none other than Premier David Eby, who uh, pointed out there has to be a significant consultation process here and a transition plan coming from Vancouver Council. None of that in sight yet. Those things can take a long time. Here's the Premier today. We understand and we expect uh, that the city will be putting together a transition plan uh, so that we can understand how they anticipate dealing with the Indigenous engagement issues, the future of the staff, the future of the facilities. Uh, they uh, uh, took the first step yesterday, but there are many steps yet to go. And uh, we'll be looking to them for that transition plan. Yeah, so here's a potential timeline. So first of all, the, letters, the Vancouver Charter has to be amended. Those amendments will not even be drafted until that consultation process is complete. I assume that's going to take some time. The spring session begins in February. Uh, it runs for about 10 weeks. There's no fall sitting because there's a, 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 a expect to be a fall election. So the chances of this being done before the next election seem very small to me, given that there's going to be a consultation plan and a transition plan coming from Vancouver Council. That does not happen overnight. This is going to take some time, so potentially wait until after the next election before the park board is abolished, if indeed that is exactly what happens. Shades of the Surrey policing saga, <laughs> but parks. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Keith. All right, don't be too surprised if your delivery didn't make it. Burnaby RCMP say their investigation uncovered where a lot of missing items went. Also ahead, how researchers solved the mystery of what causes morning sickness. It's a busy commute for the Alex Fraser Bridge. We have a collision northbound at the north end. You have just one lane squeezing by, and there's been multiple crashes on the 91 by the S-curve in both directions. Those are all clear, but volume's still very busy. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. Kermac is celebrating 50 years of collision and autoglass services. Choose the best. In the Global Traffic Center, I'm Amber Belzer. Well, porch pirates are a big concern at this time of the year, but Burnaby RCMP say they have recently dealt with three cases where the suspected thief is the delivery driver. The Amazon drivers are accused of stealing packages instead of delivering them and then trying to sell those items online. The incidents under investigation happened between September 10th and November 28th. RCMP searched the driver's homes, seizing more than 100 packages. Two men from Vancouver and one from Surrey are facing possible charges. Items stolen include everything from a $627 men's watch to a bag of popcorn. The information that Amazon provided us made, uh, gave our investigators a much more smooth investigation. Uh, we're going to get at least 16 counts of theft out of these three charges or these three incidences. Uh, we've recovered over 100 packages. Uh, which equates to over $7,000 of, of packages. 
So I, I guess my warning would be to the drivers, uh, don't try this. It's uh, pretty easy for, for you to get caught. If you're ordering items online and you won't be home at the time of delivery, Kalange suggests asking your neighbors or family members to help out and swing by to pick those items up. Well, Coquitlam RCMP say it's really disappointing that a suspect stole a Salvation Army donation kettle stand from Coquitlam Centre Mall. At about 7 p.m. on December 3rd, a man wearing a medical mask took the donation kettle from inside the southeast entrance of the mall. Police are asking for help to identify the suspect. He's described as 40 to 50 years old, 5 foot 8 with a medium build. He was wearing a black baseball hat, gray winter jacket with a hood, light gray pants and light gray runners, also carrying a backpack. If you have any information about the theft, you're asked to call Coquitlam RCMP. Well, global viewers have sure come through again, helping those in need for the holidays. On Tuesday, we reported that London Drug's annual Stocking Stuffers for Seniors program was experiencing a slow uptake. And since then, the company says there's been a run on the wish tags and the final push has made the campaign, which wraps up today, very successful. London Drugs has run the Stocking Stuffers program since 2015. So thanks to everybody who watched and acted. Vancouver real estate on the rise. The latest prediction for a market surge in the new year. Next. And why Life Labs might owe you up to $150. Right where we're standing, this is like ground zero. Some of the most iconic albums from the 80s and 90s were recorded right here in this Vancouver studio. It's a combination of the building and the people. We're here to make a record. We're not here to have a party. But we look up from the console and they're gone. Well, you have to be half shrink, half producer. You see, we recorded Slippery when wet right down the street. The afternoon commute at the Portman Bridge is winding down, but it's still busy in both directions. And we're definitely still seeing pockets of volume right from the North Shore all the way through to the Fraser Valley for Eastbound Highway 1. Contact Kermac for expert windshield repair and replacement services while supporting Kermac Cares for Kids. Kermac is celebrating 50 years of collision and autoglass services, and that's no accident. In the Global Traffic Centre, I'm Amber Belzer. One of Canada's largest real estate companies is making a prediction for the housing market next year. Royal LePage forecasts home prices will increase by the end of 2024 as it prepares for what could be an active market. But as Kyle Benning reports, much of this depends on the central bank's interest rate. While those considering entering the housing market weigh their options over the holidays, one of Canada's real estate giants is predicting a return to peak prices. Royal LePage released its 2024 outlook Thursday with an expectation the housing market is set to bottom out. We believe that will occur in the first quarter of 2024. We're already seeing the, the following the stability in interest rates and the relative stability in home prices easing down. The report suggests national aggregate home prices will increase by 5.5% by the end of 2024. But those increases will depend on the Bank of Canada dropping its interest rate by late summer or early fall. Whenever it happens, and however small, even a 25 basis point decline in the bank rate will uh, have an outsized impact on Canadian uh, housing activity. 
price drops have been seen across Ontario and in BC's Fraser Valley, Winnipeg and Halifax, but they might be short-lived, according to the Canadian Real Estate Association. In its latest report, the association says its month-to-month home price index declined by 1.1%. Experts say while prices might be down in some cities and towns, affordability is still out of reach. We're still going to restrain a lot of uh, potential buyers out there. I think it will require several rate cuts before we see, for example, first home home buyers start to make their way into the market. The Royal Page report suggests home prices could increase between 3 and 6% in Toronto, Montreal and Vancouver, while they expect it to jump 8% in Calgary, with the Alberta market seen as a more affordable alternative. Kyle Benning, Global News. In health matters tonight, scientists have identified a hormone they believe is linked to morning sickness during pregnancy. It's known as GDF-15, which is involved in developing the fetus's brainstem. Pregnant people can be sensitive to the hormone, especially if they have low levels of it before becoming pregnant. There have long been treatments and advice for dealing with morning sickness, but this is the first research that's identified a major cause, and researchers are hopeful it will improve prevention and treatment. Well, if you're a Canadian resident who has used Life Labs before mid-December of 2019, you might qualify for compensation in a $9.8 million class action settlement. The class action was launched over a cyber attack that compromised the personal information of 8.6 million people, primarily residents of BC and Ontario. The stolen information included names, health card numbers, email addresses, passwords, dates of birth and medical lab results. Canadians who are entitled to compensation need to complete a valid claim form before April 6th of next year. Life Lab says the amount paid will depend on the total number of claims that are filed, but it could range from $50 to $150 per person. The class action alleged Life Labs was negligent in its protection of customer data, something Life Labs denies. Coming up, a marine rescue hero. Daring operations on the high seas, how BC's Amber Shays Green is having a global impact. Plus, Bobby Lou back at Rogers Arena, ready to join the Canucks Ring of Honor. It's the time of year that many people like to take a look at the different Christmas decorations around the neighborhood, and that apparently holds true for bears as well. Why not? This is video shared with Global by Lexi Verano. It shows a young cub checking out an inflatable Frosty on her doorstep in Port Coquitlam on Tuesday. The bear gives the snowman a nose poke, a gentle swat, a nibble on the mitten, before just wandering off. Frosty has left a bit off kilter, but otherwise no worse for wear and still sporting that smile. Oh, <laughs> and still inflated, which is good. <laughs> it's good. Those claws must not have been sharpened. Why isn't that bear sleeping right now? It That's a very be. good question. Good question. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it uh, has been mild of late in the last yeah. little while. And uh, we actually, I thought we would actually have a look at will we see a white Christmas question. But I just wanted to show you this because this is really what spurred it on. The winter wonderland in the interior regions last night and through the morning hours. That one from a 150-mile mi- house. This one from Vernon. Huge flakes coming down in this one from Coldstream. So it's always this time of year. We get lots of questions about will it be a white Christmas 
this. Keep in mind, long-range forecasts have low accuracy, so we have to keep updating you as we get closer. But the long-range forecast now taking us out to Christmas Eve, as you can see here. And I looked at actually various models, and generally speaking, we don't have a big change in our forecast expected. It looks like things are going to go back and forth a little bit, but overall we're near seasonal to above seasonal right through the next couple of weeks. So uh, if things change, of course, we'll let you know. But at this point, doesn't look like a white Christmas, everyone. All right, so let's have a look. We do have a dense fog advisory for the North Coast inland sections, central interior regions as well. That's for tonight. So reduce visibility down to near zero. Watch for that if you're driving. As for tomorrow, we do have a very slight chance of showers for Metro Vancouver, but this shifts north of our region quickly. We are expecting sunshine and we will continue to see that sunshine on Saturday. Meanwhile, the central coast region getting pummeled uh, from that frontal band. So you can see that here in the forecast. Uh, some areas will start off with uh, snowfall and then change over to rain as temperatures warm up. Dry in the interior, but still dealing with quite a bit of valley cloud. And for our region, again, the bulk of the showers will be in the morning. In the afternoon, we'll see sunshine. And it looks like the sun is here to stay for our Saturday. Also, overall, the weekend is looking dry before rain shifts back in on Monday. And tonight's center windows weather window. I had to use another one. This is, of course, the sunrise from yesterday. But we got so many photos, and I thought this one was quite stunning from Sydney on the island. Thanks so much to everyone who shared photos, but also to Shauna. It looks like it would need a filter, but that's real. That's real. No, it was that nice yesterday morning, yeah. for sure. All right, uh, Squire is here now. Feels so 2011. <laughs> <laughs> you can go back and say it feels so 2006, because mm -hmm. that's when Roberto Luongo arrived in Vancouver, and tonight he joins the Fellowship of the Ring. He will go into the Ring of Honor at Rogers Arena, Today he had his press conference. He says he'll have a great speech tonight, so get ready for that. He was reminiscing about the good old days during the Canucks run to the Cup in 2011. It was the most important stretch of my career. Yes, it was the most important stretch of his career. In fact, I would be safe to say he was the best goalie the Canucks have ever had. No offense, Kurt McLean, but Luongo's in the Hall of Fame. Also tonight... High Seas Rescue, the BC woman sharing her expertise to train heroes here and abroad. Recently had a massive event for Christine Sinclair and another big one for another sports hero here in Vancouver tonight. Yes, because the Florida Panthers are here. Roberto Luongo is here because he's a special advisor to the general manager in Florida. So tonight is the night that Roberto Luongo is officially put into the Canucks Ring of Honor. Now, he played here almost eight full seasons, 2006, traded from Florida to Vancouver until 2014 when he was traded back to Florida. We all know the story. Roberto Luongo and the Canucks were one win short of a Stanley Cup in 2011. But of course, the year before, he was the Canadian goalie when we won the men's gold medal at Rogers Arena. He was traded to the Canucks officially on uh, June 23rd, 2006. Now, that was the trade that saw uh, Bertuzzi go to Miami. Uh, Luongo was moved because he couldn't get a new contract done in time with the Panthers. 
wasn't really thinking he'd suddenly become a Vancouver Canuck? It was the most important stretch of my career. Uh, I think, um, you know, it was when I was in my prime. Uh, you know, we had a great team. We, uh, we were in the playoffs. We made a, you know, a run to the cup. Uh, played in the Olympics in the city, uh, which is unbelievable when you think about it, you know, uh, that it all came together like that. So uh, it's a huge, huge part of my life. Um, always will be. Let's go back to that trade for a moment. I remember when that trade was made, June 23rd, 2006, and it was Elaine Vigneault, who was the coach of the Canucks, who said all the Canuck players are now going to gain a lot of confidence because they have a great goalie behind them. And he was right. And it was right away that started. If you go back and look at the stats for Roberto Luongo's first season in Vancouver, he played 76 regular season games. I think his save percentage was like 921. Barely anybody remembers the backup's name. It was Danny Sabran because he hardly ever played. And Luongo was second in the Vezina Trophy voting that year to Martin Brodeur, and he was second for MVP, the Hart Trophy voting, to Sidney Crosby. But as we said, when he was traded to the Canucks from Florida, he was a little bit shocked that he got moved from Miami. I was kind of surprised. They didn't, didn't know much about it. Uh, but uh, I know my, my parents had some very good friends that live here. Um, so given that I was at my parents' house already, they gave me the, the lowdown and uh, started researching on the computer. And um, I mean, I mean, what can you say? It's, it's the most beautiful city in the world, I think. Um, and uh, just getting here and, and being and living in this city for eight years and being part of the community was was, was great. I, mean. I know there are, as we talked at five o'clock, Luongo fans who think his number should be retired, but because number one was also worn by Kurt McLean, who's a ring of honoree for the Vancouver Canucks. That's not why the number was retired. But if it makes you feel any better, I would have to say Luongo is the best Canuck to never have his number retired. But he is in the ring of honor. Now, of course, tonight after the ceremony, and Luongo promises a good speech, and he's a funny guy, it should be a good one. The Canucks will play his team the Florida Panthers. Pew Suter is going to be back in Vancouver's lineup. He's recovered from his lower body injury. That probably means Nils Oman moves to the press box. This is a team the Vancouver Canucks did beat back in October on the road, 5-3. And that game actually left a real impression on Florida head coach Paul Maurice, who thinks the work done by Rick Tockett and his coaching staff in Vancouver has changed the Canucks for the better. And in this clip, you'll hear Tockett speak as well how much he likes Florida. This is really a coaching mutual admiration society we got going here. I really like the game they played against us. There's not a lot of times I'm standing on the bench going, man, those guys are playing a hell of a game against us in an appreciative way. But they've gone from being, you know, a skilled team that, that uh, with a fair amount of motion in their game, they still got, they're hard now. They play hard, they skate hard, they move together as five. They still got some stretch in their game, but in a, in a focused, determined way. So this is going to be fast. We need, we need to be ready right from the start for sure. Flores are actually one of the teams I really love watching play. Uh, they, you know, if you look around the league, when it comes to identity, they play to their identity. They play fast. They pressure you. you know, they're tough. Um, they got all the elements. You know, they, they have certain players that drag them in the fight. Um, they went to the finals last year. I mean, they're, this is a big test for us. Canada and the U.S. Women's Hockey. It's the uh, rivalry series. This is game three of the series. The first two games were won by the Americans. Danielle Serdakny on a one-timer gives Canada a 1-0 lead. This game is in Kitchener, Ontario. 
Second period, the Americans are up 2-1. The Canadians tie it. Emily Clark putting in the loose puck. 2-2. It would go to overtime, and the Americans get the power play in OT. It's 4-on-3, and usually this is death for the other team. 4-on-3, and it's Hillary Knight who loads up the one-timer. The USA wins it 3-2 in overtime. These two teams will play again Saturday in Sarnia, Ontario. There you go. And, oh, we should mention, mm -hmm. uh, in the warm-up the Canucks just had, mm -hmm. all of the players were wearing number one Luongo jerseys. All of them. Goalie, defenseman, forwards, everybody on the ice. So cool. Number one on the ice, number one in our hearts. One in our there hearts. You. There we go, good. Bobby Lou. Thanks, Squire. All right, from a tiny island off the north coast to saving lives around the world, the BC woman born to be a marine rescue hero. This is BC is brought to you by Johnston Meyer Insurance Agencies Group. 50 years of trust in your community. Jordan Armstrong standing by in the newsroom with a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jordan? Sophie, a big night for Roberta Luongo, you know that, but it's also a big night for a very special team. Jasper Moore is also a goaltender. The team lives with a rare disease, and it was his dream to meet Luongo. Well, today that became a reality, and tonight he's getting the VIP treatment at Rogers Arena. Jasper and his mom will tell us all about it on Global News at 11. Also, we're just getting word of a shooting in North Delta. We'll have details and images at 11 as well. Sophie? All right, thanks for that. Okay, so being at home on the waves is just a part of growing up on the wild west coast of B.C. And for Amber Shays Green, it turned into a lifelong passion for marine rescue. She's from a small island off the coast of Prince Rupert and turned her, her personal experience into a professional career with a heroic impact. Jada Ranch shows us more in This is B.C. It's been a life on the water that started at a young age for Amber Shays Green. I grew up on a tiny island just off of Prince Rupert, so uh, we had no roads and had to commute by boat every day. Uh, I took a ferry to school. She grew up hearing about calls for help in the community. Even once my mom needed to be rescued, um, she spent a night on shore. And we'll do logs and calm. We will call into Coast Guard Radio. Now a crew leader for RCM Search and Rescue, Shays Green has dedicated her life to saving others. Her experience and skills have taken her on international operations. Working with an organization that rescues migrants in distress on the Mediterranean. We did about four or five rescues in this last rotation and rescued over um, 200 people. We rescued 75 people from a broken down sailing vessel. Two to three meter swells, so really dangerous, super scary. would respond to calls or requests for assistance that would come in for um, migrant vessels that were attempting to cross from northern Libya, Tunisia area towards Italy. So the first thing we're going to do this morning is we'll come through and we're going to pop out around the spit. And just Shays Green is now teaching others here and abroad how to save lives on the water after some very difficult moments during her childhood. We experienced a lot of tragedies, unfortunately. Um, 
when I was growing up as a kid, um, either friends and family or colleagues um, at school. It just really resonated with me as an opportunity to learn new skills, but also give back uh, to my community. It's rewarding. It's always been rewarding to help people in need and to make sure that uh, they're going home to their families at the end of the day. One, two, three, left. Jay Durand, Global News. If I'm ever in trouble out there, I hope Amber's around. If you know someone who has a great story to tell, email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. I feel like you need to bring out the fly swatter and just... Let's just explain <laughs> to people... There is massive, there are a series of massive flies in this building. We haven't really figured out where they're from. We have theories. But Joan, <laughs> one of our producers and yeah. managers, brought that baby in. So we're going to get that fly eventually. He's these been flies, sitting here all night. Like, yeah. <laughs> I think these <laughs> flies need a steroid test because yeah. they're a little larger mm. than usual. Yeah, they're, they're big. And, and they're relatively slow moving, which surprised me. I have not been able to get it yet. <laughs> you can do it. Yeah. Do it. Thank, you. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for watching, everyone. Have a great night. Good night, all.